Welcome to the Wild Soul Cast. I'm your host, Anna Kinkela. This is a sacred space where we hold deep conversations on spirituality, conscious leadership, feminism, creativity, and how to more meaningfully and intentionally nurture connection within ourselves and with others. Welcome to episode five of the Wild Soul Cast. I am really excited to dive into a conversation today with an amazing woman that I met on retreat last year. And her name is Sandhya Ramaswamy. And she is an Ayurveda health coach, an educator, chef, and spiritual retreat guide. She is a clinical Ayurveda specialist, faculty member at the California College of Ayurveda, and a professional member of the National Ayurveda Medical Association. For nearly a decade, she has led hundreds of clients, students, and community members in experiencing the transformative power of Ayurveda. And I'm so excited to have her on the show today where we talk about Ayurveda and how you can really use it to optimize your health. And we also dig into the five elements that comprise the doshas, which Ayurveda is really built on. Our conversation is very rich because... You know, Ayurveda is not just about how we approach the physical body or our relationship with the physical body, although that is certainly where it starts. Um, our conversation really goes into also the the emotional body, the spiritual body, and how Ayurveda affects all of those layers of being. And that's one of the things that I really love about Ayurveda is that we are really able to tune into our body's wisdom and really learn how to self-diagnose ourselves and work with the elements of nature that we are so interconnected with to optimize not just our physical well-being, but also our emotional, our mental, and spiritual well-being as well. One of the things that you've been seeing on the podcast is me inviting guests onto the podcast that do a lot of work with the physical body, whether it's talking about how you're eating, how you're taking care of your body, right? And the reason that I'm doing a lot of those types of interviews is because our physical body is really the vehicle through which we experience everything. And our body is how we can actually build a relationship with our spiritual self and also heal all of these different facets of our being so that we can truly show up in our wildness and in our wholeness. So all of the different interviews that I'm putting on here with amazing women who are doing this kind of work in the physical body realm, it's such a beautiful opportunity to take a look at your relationship with your body and how you feel in your body. And how you determine how to nurture your body, right? Um, the more awareness that we can all get within our physical realm, the more that we'll be able to actually move beyond the physical realm and receive the messages that 
we really want to receive from the spiritual realm, from our wildness. So our connection with our body really does determine then how much we can connect with all of our other bodies. And that is um, also a foundational aspect of yoga, that we have all of these different body bodies, all these different sheaths, and that we really move through those different levels, those th different layers as we become more grounded and rooted and healthy in our own physical body, whatever that might look like for you. This conversation definitely lays out a very foundational basis for Ayurveda. But the other thing that this uh, conversation also does is goes a little bit deeper into the qualities of each element and the qualities of each dosha, and not just how to apply it to our health and wellness on a physical level, but also how we can really think about the elements and the doshas within our own leadership, and that it extends to more than just our physical health. And so there is a depth to this particular conversation that does go beyond the basics. And if you know little bits and pieces about Ayurveda, but maybe you haven't studied it extensively, this is going to still be a really good conversation for you to dive into and listen to, um, to just get a little bit more in-depth knowledge on some of the elements and doshas. The other piece is that this particular episode is really going to be the launching episode for a series that I'll be doing next week, and I'll be posting an episode every day for five days, and what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be diving into the five elements that are part of the core structure of Ayurveda and the doshas. And what I'm going to be doing next week on the podcast in each one of the days is I will dedicate each day to one of the five elements, and I'm going to really apply the five elements to leadership. Now, the way that I'm going to be talking about this is definitely very inspired by Ayurveda because a lot of my training is from a yogic perspective. However, while I am inspired and I've definitely been affected and influenced by my Ayurveda knowledge and the way that I've applied it in my life. A lot of what you're going to hear next week is also my own interpretation and how I've worked with the elements individually. So it is inspired and a foundational aspect of that work is Ayurveda. However, I've applied psychology and other things that I know to be true from my own experience and from the experience of my clients that I've really seen playing out when we are walking through our leadership journey and up leveling in our leadership journey. So next week is not going to be about Ayurveda specifically at all. I will highlight some of the things that we talked about in this conversation in terms of the elements, but I will be diving deeper into some of the shadow and light pieces that can come up with each element. And one of the things that I've really done in my business and in my coaching is that I've really drawn this connection between how important it is for us to connect to nature. Nature is such 
a beautiful entry point into experiencing our divinity at a different level because our physical body and all of our bodies are really connected with the rhythms of nature. So this is such a core element of how I think about my clients and how I think about leadership. And I'd love for you to also tune into that series that's going to be coming out next week. So there's going to be five different episodes all released next week for you to really dive into and enjoy. But for the time being, just allow yourself to open up space to hear everything that Sandhya has to share because she truly is an expert in this area and knows so much. So I'm so honored to have her on the show so she can share her wisdom and her insights with us. I hope you enjoyed this episode and please check out all of the links in the show notes if you would like to learn a little bit more about Sandhya or dive deeper into Ayurveda. She is such a wonderful resource and also has published several articles with the Chopra Center. So she is really the go-to person for this type of work if you're wanting to look a little bit deeper into this. So highly recommend you check her out. And if you like the show, if you like what you're hearing, please do leave us a review and let us know. Thank you for being here. And here is Sandhya. Welcome, Sandhya, to the show. I am so excited to have you. Um, me and Sandhya met two years ago at Sally Kempton's retreat. And actually last year. No, was it last year? Oh my yeah, gosh, I thought it was I know, two time years. Flies, time flies. Yeah, so time. Thank you for having me. It's just a joy to just just even be with you and talk to you again. So. Oh, same here. So happy to catch up with you and just hear a little bit more about your work. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do. I'd love to hear more. Uh, okay. Well, I am an um, Ayurveda practitioner. So I'm an Ayurveda health and lifestyle coach, if you will. Um, I'm also an Ayurveda chef. Uh, my love for cooking started in my mother's kitchen when I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an Ayurvedic uh, educator as well. So I teach uh, for the California College of Ayurveda mm-hmm. uh, and mentor students from all over the world, actually, through the magic of Skype. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, lastly, I'm an Ayurveda um, uh, retreat uh, curator. So I take people on a spiritual retreats to India, um, Ayurveda and yogic and tantric uh, spiritual retreats to my homeland of India. So um, I feel honored and blessed to be able to do what I do because this is my second avatar, as you know. Yes. Yeah. I read a little bit about your story. And so, um, I think I love women who are following their dreams and following, Mm -hmm. you know, what they truly desire to do with their life. So I'd love Mm -hmm. it if you'd share with your listeners a little bit about how you arrived where you are today and what inspired you to. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, even though I was born in India and have had an intimate connection with this, um, way of living, uh, through the ancestral knowledge of my mother and my grandmother, you know, growing up being massaged as babies with warm medicated oils and, you know, um, getting oils from the Ayurvedic doctor for hair and using natural shampoos and soaps like soap nuts and 
um, you know, mother always um, giving us remedies, home remedies for an upset stomach or a headache. Um, I kind of uh, walked away from it in a sense, I feel, when I came to the U.S. for my higher studies. Um, and I actually got my MBA and I detoured, even though I was trained as a chef. And that's what I came here. I came to Purdue for my, uh, to complete my uh, culinary degree. I kind of... Uh, told myself the story that, you know, let me just take the GMAT, and, which is the entrance exam to the um, MBA program. And, uh, you know, I got accepted in a couple of um, uh, colleges. And so uh, I got my MBA in finance and detoured in the world of finance for like 15 years and mm-hmm. got caught up in the Maya of climbing the corporate ladder, right? Like, yeah. like we all, like many of us do. Yes. And really was disconnected with my uh, mind, body, and spirit, you know, on all levels, physical, emotional, spiritual level. And so um, the chronic condition of asthma that I had as a child just kept getting worse and worse. And finally, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to say, uh, was when I was hospitalized with pneumonia. And it was pretty serious. And, And that was my wake up call to realize that. Um, Western medicine, while it has its place, you know, it's, it has personally saved my life a couple of times. So it has its place um, in critical care, emergency care. But I realized it's not a health care system. It's just going to address the symptoms with another medication, right? Another inhaler, another antibiotic, another steroid. So I realized I really need to uh, turn my attention back to a system of healing that can provide answers or address the root cause of my symptoms. And uh, it was Ayurveda. And so I went back to my roots and I sought out an Ayurveda practitioner and I worked with her and um, I saw amazing changes happen on all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to study more. Uh, I didn't think I would give up my day job. Uh, it was pretty comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and so I... Um, you know, went to school. I enrolled in the California College of Ayurveda. That was in 2008. And um, it was so amazing, everything I was learning and studying. And even today, um, I feel my knowledge of Ayurveda is just the tip of the iceberg. It can take a lifetime or lifetimes to learn about these deep yogic and Vedic um, knowledges, you know, uh, you know um, knowledge, right? So they're very deep. Uh, but anyways, I, I was so enthralled by it and I just um, uh, delved deeper and deeper and I was so passionate about it. Um, they asked me to audition to be a teacher in 2009 um, and I was honored and I got the part, so to speak, and I started teaching. Um, and I, when I started seeing my um, clients as part of my internship, when I saw my first client and I saw how... Uh, the changes that were taking place based on my recommendations customized for her. Much like I had experience when I worked with my Ayurveda practitioner, it, it, it became very clear to me that this was going to be my path and this is what I wanted to do from then on. And that was late 2010, early 2011. Mm. And so I asked my uh, boss to look for another finance controller, which is what I was doing. And um, been practicing Ayurveda since then. So that's been my journey. It's been my second avatar and really honored and humbled uh, to be following this path. 
first and foremost for my health, the health of my family, and to be able to offer this to um, everyone who seeks me out. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's such a beautiful story. Um, and the part that I really love, part of one of the things that you shared was just about Western medicine and has its mm-hmm. place and yes. um, everything. And um, sometimes it can be a huge bandaid on things that are happening underneath the surface. And so the things that I love about Ayurveda is that it's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about what Ayurveda is, Mm -hmm. um, how you look at it. Okay. And uh, actually you've touched upon something pretty important. So um, before I um, talk about what Ayurveda is, uh, let me also uh, build upon the difference between Ayurveda and the conventional system of medicine. Um, And some of the differences are Ayurveda addresses the root cause of disease. Mm -hmm. Western medicine addresses the symptoms. And in addressing the root cause, there's alleviation of symptoms, obviously, but there is also understanding as to why the symptoms are happening. Yes, so important. Yeah, it's important. Um, Ayurveda is holistic. So we look at, you know, health in Ayurveda is healthy mind, healthy body, healthy spirit. Mm -hmm. Western medicine um, looks at uh, just the physical well-being. Um, of course, uh, for emotional well-being, we do have psychiatrists and psychologists and counselors, but uh, they are two separate entities, um, if you will. In Ayurveda, we look at the whole person, right? So it's holistic on that level as well. And it's also holistic in the sense that we don't look at a disease condition or a body part in its isolation, right? Whereas Western medicine, if you have a heart condition, you go to a cardiologist, Right. So um, if you have diabetes, you go to an endocrinologist. But we understand the interlinkages of all the body functions, right? And the innate intelligence of the body systems. Right. So it's holistic on that level as well. Mm-hmm. It is a natural system of medicine, and that all of the treatment uh, modalities come from the natural world. Mm. whether it's food as medicine the sense of taste you know we use ayurvedic herbs but we also use food as medicine in ayurveda right mm-hmm. a sense of smell we heal through aromatherapy coming from the natural plant world yeah. um, sense of color we use nature you know we use uh, the ocean the the moon the, the beautiful sky the trees the walking in a Forest, you know, we use all that as treatment in Ayurveda through the sense of sight, right? Sense of sound, we use mantras. Mantras are word of power or word for power. They can be Sanskrit. So we use bija mantras or seed syllables for certain chakras based on what a person is experiencing to bring them back to balance. But they can also be words of affirmation, right? Mm -hmm. Things that we tell ourselves, the thoughts that we put into ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then the sense of touch, you know, we use uh, modalities like self-massage using natural oils and, um, you know, with essential oils customized for the person. So all of the healing modalities uh, come from the natural world, right? So, and this is another difference between Ayurveda and Western medicine. Western medicine um, almost exclusively depends on pharmaceutical medications, which are synthesized in the lab. Some of them come from, many of them come from plants that they are, uh, the compounds are isolated, right? Yeah. So they have side effects as well. Right, right. right? Um, 
and there is not much by way of diet and lifestyle recommendation. Yes, yes, that is huge. Yeah. Um, another way Ayurveda is different from Western medicine is it's customized. Mm. It's not a one-size-fits-all. As an Ayurveda practitioner, I assess a person's unique constitutional makeup, their blueprint, if you will, and their imbalances. And so the treatment plan is customized for them. As you know, we'll be talking about doshas. We're made up of all three doshas, but what's unique to each and every one of us is the proportion of doshas that we were created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ayurveda is also empowering medicine. Western medicine is not empowering. I, I felt so disempowered sitting in the hospital bed, right? Just uh, listening to the doctors talk about giving me more steroids or prednisone. And, you know, so it's, it's just uh, you're told what to do. In Ayurveda, the client is empowered. So Ayurveda practitioner educates and empowers the client, but the client is putting the recommendations to work. And in doing so, much like I did, you awaken your own body's uh, intuition, potential to heal. Mm -hmm. Right, And you connect with your body at such a deep level, the subtle Absolutely. level. Absolutely. And like you said, it's a journey. It's a journey of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. How do I feel after having that warm bowl of spiced oatmeal? versus skipping breakfast or, you know, running out the door with a Pop-Tart to go, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you feel? We're constantly tapping into, oh, okay, you know what? That made me feel so much grounded. Or you know what? That cold salad I had for lunch, I just feel so ungrounded. Maybe I should have had something warm with it, maybe a warm bowl of soup, you know? So it, and I admit that's so simple, you know, it's common sense, basically, right? It's a, uh, but it's a very, it's a mindful way of living. So those are some of the differences I can think about um, in terms of Ayurveda versus um, Western medicine. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. I think one of the things, so I learned a little bit about Ayurveda when I went through my um, yoga teacher training several uh, years ago. Uh, yes. And um, one of the things that appealed to me most is mm -hmm. just this recognition of our connection with nature and how yes. embedded we are within that. Yes, and so I feel like a lot of what we have in our society separates us from that connection. And Ayurveda does such a beautiful job of integrating us back into that connection. Absolutely, bringing us back. And honestly, I think we all lived this way six, seven generations ago. You know, we all grew up on a farm. You know, we ate what was in, what was in season, what was local, woke up with the sun. So aligning with the rhythms of nature, right? We woke up with the sun, had our big meat at lunch, maybe had a little siesta mm -hmm. and then had a supper, light supper, and then kind of went to bed with the sun as well, right? So aligning ourselves with the rhythms of nature, that is, that is Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. Yes, I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you tell us a little bit about the doshas and oh yes and you asked me about defining Ayurveda too yes that too yes <laughs> so Ayurveda is made up of two words Ayur or Ayus means life Veda means knowledge science or wisdom so Ayurveda is the wisdom of living wisdom of life science of life and longevity Right? How can we? Because it's also a wonderful system of preventive medicine. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have good health, you know, how can you understand your constitution and optimize on all levels? 
Mm-hmm. Like that, that gives nice us power to exactly, that. Yeah. exactly. Because also now there are so many fads. Many of the people who come to see me come to see me for preventive health, and they are so confused and overwhelmed by all the fads that are out there. What should I do? Should I be paleo? Should I be vegan? Should I be gluten free? Is kombucha good for me? Right. So Ayurveda basically, you know, separates the wheat from the chaff. You understand who you are. And from that standpoint, you understand what foods are optimal for you, what practices are optimal for you, what type of yoga classes should you be taking, what type of meditation you should be doing, right? So so Ayurveda is wisdom of life and longevity. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So you asked about doshas? Yes. So central to the concept of Ayurveda are doshas. These are... Uh, the psychobiological energies that exist in all of us, each and every cell of our bodies. Yeah? Yeah. So they also exist at the level of the mind, so at an energetic level as well, right? And uh, these are vata, pitta, and kapha. Mm-hmm. So these are the three archetypes of Ayurveda. So shall I delve into them? Yeah, I'd love to hear. And I love the fact that we can frame it with in terms of energy, right? Absolutely. In Ayurveda, we say we there are three layers of existence. Mm-hmm. The causal or karmic layer, the reason we are born. We are born basically, again, if you believe in um, Ayurveda and um, yoga, right? The, the philosophy of Ayurveda yoga is, you know, you know, does believe in reincarnation and the fact that we are born so that we can live out our past life's karmas, right, through this lifetime, right, and understand the lessons and learn from the lessons from the, of this lifetime, right? So causal or karmic. So in some sense, to be born is a disease, you can say in Ayurveda, right? So <laughs> yes. causal or karmic, mm-hmm. then the energetic body, Mm-hmm. which is the energetic template of our physical body and then the physical body. Mm-hmm. So in fact, in Ayurveda, we see disease actually starts in the causal or karmic level, then translates to the energetic level and then manifests at the physical level, right? Mm-hmm. This is also like, you know, you've also heard of, uh, you know, modern uh, new age um, theories, right? I mean, you, you become your thoughts, right? Yes. This is yeah. the philosophy behind, you know, positive thinking, positive thoughts, right? Uh, positive affirmations as well, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so the ancients, I'm going to step back a little bit, right? So the ancients, um, they were as much poets as they were scientists and artists, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a beautiful poem in the Upanishads which says that, you know, um, as is the atom, you know, so is the universe, right? As is the microcosm, so is the macrocosm. Mm-hmm. And we are very much part of nature, like we just said, right? So, and they said that in these, in the macrocosm, that is the universe, what is prevalent are the pancha mahabhutas, the five great elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are ether, air, fire, water, and earth. Mm-hmm. And we, we being mankind, womankind, being part of nature, also have these five great elements mm-hmm. in different proportions to each of us, but we have these five great elements. And these five great elements exist on a physical level, but also metaphorical level. 
And we'll talk about that. And these five great elements also have some unique gunas or qualities that pertain to them. Mm-hmm. And that's important to understand because we'll talk about the fundamental principle of healing in Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and these five great elements in pairs form the three great doshas. <laughs> that's where we're going, right? Yeah, yes, they're, they're all connected. A, they're all connected. So do we have time to talk about yes. the elements? Yes. Yes, I would love it. Um, I Briefly. do a lot of... Um, I integrate the elements into a lot of my work in terms of leadership. Lovely. Just because I see that within us, what is within us is within nature and that type of reflection. Absolutely. That we see. Um, then let's also touch upon the different elemental personalities as well. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you. You bet. So ether, right? Ether, akasha, space. Mm-hmm. Ether is everything, like as I look around the room that I'm in and where you are, ether is everything that connects us. It's the idea of connectivity, right? It's also a container for all the other elements. Mm-hmm. Ether is space. So ether is present anywhere we have physical cavities in our bodies, right? So the ear canal, the respiratory system, our entire digestive system are examples of presence of ether on a physical level. Mm-hmm. On a more metaphorical level, ether represents our connection to consciousness, mm-hmm. our connection to realms which are not of this physical plane. So that is why people who have a fair amount of ether in them make excellent psychics or clairvoyants. Mm, yes, yeah. The etheric personality is a dreamy personality. Mm, I think I have quite a bit of ether in my personality. Very good. You don't see limits, right? (laughs) So potential is limitless, infinite. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels like almost like floating in space, right? Floating in space. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And this would be a a good time for me to say that all elements and doshas when in balance are beautiful. Mm. Right, so we can harness the beautiful qualities that they bring, right, to our mind, body, and spirit. Whenever there is too much of ether or too much of air, and so on and so forth, too much of an element, too much of a dosha, we start seeing the shadow qualities, i.e., imbalances, i.e., symptoms. Yes. So someone who's an amazing psychic and clairvoyant, if they don't have the diet and lifestyle to manage and balance their etheric personality, the etheric uh, physicality, they can become ungrounded. They mm-hmm. can become spacey, mm-hmm. distracted, right? Kind of yeah. floating, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. We're spiritual beings, but we're living in a human body, right? So there's exactly. a balance, yeah. It's, a, it's always a dynamic balance. Yeah, it's just one example of imbalance, yeah. So the qualities of ether, um, so the sages, these ancients, uh, rishis, who came up with this amazing knowledge of Ayurveda and yoga, um, they came up with uh, 20 qualities and 10 pairs of opposites. But for our knowledge, it's enough if we know like, the three or four qualities along with their opposites. So I always invite my students when I um, give workshops, you spoke about uh, learning um, Ayurveda and your yoga teacher training. That's a lovely, wonderful yoga teacher training. And, and that's what I do. I offer quite a few um, um, 
you know, Ayurveda training for some yoga teacher training, um, trainings mm-hmm. in the area. Not all yoga teacher trainings include Ayurveda. That's such a uh, shame. It's such a be. shame because yeah. um, yoga and Ayurveda are two sides of the same coin. Yes. Um, and according to David Frawley, who's an amazing Vedic scholar, he says, you know, Ayurveda is self-healing and yoga is self-realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is oh, the ultimate goal of both yoga and Ayurveda is to yeah. realize our divine self. We've just forgotten. Yeah, right. well, and the elements are in all the poses as well. So exactly. it's such an important connection, yeah. Absolutely. And in mudras as well, I just uh, deepened my study of mudras and, you know, each of the um, elements are represented by our fingers. By holding a certain mudra, you enhance the element or you pacify the element. Absolutely. So back to ether, the qualities of ether. So I always have my students envision, right, a bucket of ether. It's mm-hmm. going to be heavy. So the qualities I want you guys to um, uh, think about, right, you and your listeners, right, just, just for our understanding of the elements, you know, light, cold, dry, and mobile, along with their opposites. So a bucket of space, is it going to be light or heavy? Light. light. Yes. yes. It's cold. All to keep it simple, all elements except fire are cold because there's no inherent source of heat. Mm-hmm. It's dry. Again, to keep it simple, all elements except water don't have an inherent source of moisture. Mm-hmm. So it's light. Either is light, cold, and dry, right? Mm-hmm. So those are the qualities to remember. Mm-hmm. And why do we marry qualities with elements? Why is that important? Because all of Ayurvedic healing rests on this very simple yet profound principle. Opposites are the cure for opposites. Mm, yeah. It's actually coined by Hippocrates and Greek medicine has its roots in Ayurveda as well. Mm, I didn't know that. It's shown, yeah. Like increases like and opposites are the cure for opposites. So in the simple example, this wonderful psychic who's become very ungrounded, possibly because of his or her diet and lifestyle, a good breakfast to ground them right from the beginning of the day would be, again, a nice bowl of oatmeal. Mm-hmm. We'll do well to stay away from big salads and have some warm soups, some warm grains, warm veggies, right? Have mm-hmm. stable routines. Mm-hmm. Do warm oil massage to pacify their vata dosha. And we will see vata dosha is made up of ether and air, which we're going to talk about next. Right? Mm. So this is why it's important to understand the qualities of the elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So far, so good, Anna? Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. And we come to air. Mm. Air is the mischief maker. I love um, that. The mischief yes. maker. Because air has this mobile quality about it. Mm. Everywhere we have movement in our bodies and minds, we have air. Mm. Our nervous system, governed by air. Circulation, Covered by air, respiration, peristalsis, movement of food through the intestines, entire digestive system, movement of feces through large intestine, all governed by the principle of air. Mm. At the level of the mind, air is the force that moves thought. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. worry is nothing but too much air, unproductive thoughts one after another. Especially if you have maybe racing thoughts. I see that a lot with anxiety. Anxiety. Anxiety is nothing but, you know, Mm -hmm. worry taken to a higher level, right? Mm -hmm. So these are all excess air. Yeah. Yeah. The mind. 
So quality of air is it's light, cold, dry and mobile. Mm-hmm. The mobile quality makes it unpredictable and a mischief maker. Which is why Vata Dosha, which is combination of air and ether, is considered to be the king of doshas, responsible for 75 to 85 percent of all diseases. Oh, wow. Okay. Those of us with more air and ether, i.e. more Vata in our doshic makeup or constitution, have to work harder at managing uh, the imbalances and maintaining immunity. Mm. But that's good to understand, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's customized. That's why you're not all... A cookie cutter mm-hmm. uh, replicas of each other. Yeah. And then you can kind of see how all of those things kind of play out for each and every one of us in different exactly. ways. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. And then we have fire. Mm. Fire is responsible for metabolism. We have about, I think, Vic is still counting, maybe it could be a trillion cells. And we're having metabolic and chemical reactions taking place in each and every one of the cells right now to maintain homeostasis governed by the principle of fire. Mm-hmm. Of course, in Ayurveda, we're most concerned about agni or digestive fire because in Ayurveda, it's not so much, it's not just you are what you eat, it's you are how you digest. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So, digestion is the cornerstone of health and immunity in Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. At the level of the mind, fire gives us the qualities of discrimination, judgment, perception, clarity, mm. focus. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it kind of attunement to truth, your truth as well? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Fire is associated with what we call tejas, mm. which is that light, light of illumination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I always think yeah. of like the fire burning maybe in the third chakra. Uh, Manipura, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That controls willpower. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Accomplishing your dharma, seeing what's right, what's true. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, we can be overly attached to that as well. That can be imbalanced. So when we have too much fire uh, level uh, on the physical level, we could have like, you know, uh, burning indigestion, like, you know, hyperacidity perhaps, or... um, uh, we could have, you know, red skin conditions, red redness of eyes, and so on and so forth. When we have too much fire at the level of the mind, we can have fiery emotions, anger, impatience, being overly judgmental and critical. Mm, okay. And then on a when we look at the elements, even on a societal level, can mm-hmm. you see the elements playing out on a social level, like on a larger community context? Yeah, absolutely. Like right now, I think we are we are having a political climate where it's a lot of fire on both sides, right? Yes. Because there's a lot of judgment and mm-hmm. absolutely, absolutely. Um, because again, you know, um, Fire can be used to follow the right dharma, mm-hmm. but fire can also be used to follow something that you believe so much in, but you're blinded by it, mm-hmm. even though it may not be dharmic. Let's yes. say, right? Right. So, uh, jealousy, in some sense, fanaticism, mm-hmm. is um, excess fire, excess imbalance of fire. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I love that piece where you can really layer Ayurveda and look at it on so many different levels. Yes, we can look at it, but the only caution I would say is we don't want to overgeneralize or oversimplify. Mm-hmm. That is the only watch out. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. Good. Point. At the end of the day, Vedic philosophy says that we should be able to see the divinity in each and every one of us because mm-hmm. each and every one of us is the manifestation of the same divinity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, good reminder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Piercing through the veil of ego and Maya, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so fire is hot in terms of qualities. It's hot, dry, and light. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And how do you? I mean, how do you generally balance the fire? Oh, we're going to talk about it in the concept of doshas, but again, opposites, you know, so fire, cooling, calming. Mm -hmm. Um, So for instance, um, I just um, wrote an article for the Chopra Center about how do we eat for summer, Mm -hmm. right? Cooling and calming the pitta. And um, I'll share that link with you. You can share it with the readers. The link will be in the notes. Yeah. Beautiful. Five summer recipes to balance pitta because pitta is mostly fire and also these doshas and elements govern seasons. Yeah. And right now we're in summer season. We're in the throes of pitta season. Right? Yeah, lots of fire happening right lots now. Lots of fire happening. So cooling, calming, everything in moderation. That's how we balance fire. That mm-hmm. was pitta dosha. Mm-hmm. Now we move to the heavier elements. Water. Mm-hmm. Water is, we are, again, the, the sages had it right um, so many thousands of years ago, right? Yeah. Your microcosm of the macrocosm, that is nature. Guess what? Nature is 75 to 80 percent water. Mm-hmm. Our bodies, water. all of the fluids, the mucous membranes, the synovial fluids, right? Or oh, the cerebrospinal fluid, all of these are examples of water or fluids on the physical level. Yes. Emotionally, water is said to represent contentment, mm-hmm. juiciness. Rasa is another word for, in Sanskrit word for juice, for water, rasa, right? So we want to have a fair amount of water to feel contentment or santosha, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you have too much, you can be overly attached to people. You might be what uh, become codependent, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Overly emotional, right? So you want to find that balance. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have enough water, you can, you know, I think there's the saying, the person, you know, got dried out of life, you know, you become dry, bitter, you know, so find that balance. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on a physical level, you have too much water, you're retaining too much water. You can, you know, you can have edema, water retention, swelling of the ankles. Right. Mm-hmm. So water is moist. Think of a bucket of water moist, heavy, cold, right? Mm -hmm. That sounds really good right now. (laughs) With all the fire. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, and that's what, you know, when we have forest fires out here in the West, you know, that's Mm -hmm. kind of water to put out the fire. I mean, also fire retardant and other stuff, but yeah, water, cool fire. Yeah. And finally, your earth. Earth gives us structure, stability. It's our bones, our skin, our nails, our teeth, our muscles. Level of the mind, earth is also gives us stability, being grounded. Our ability to be grounded comes from the element of earth, that quality of earth. Mm-hmm. 
But when we have too much earth, we can become too complacent, set in our ways, couch potatoes, right? <laughs> stubborn, yes. right? So, yeah, stagnant in a lot of ways. Stagnant, it's a great yeah. word, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, bucket of earth, heavy, cold, and dry, mm-hmm. yeah? Yes. So those are the elements. Are we good with the elements? Yes. And I love, you know, the descriptions of the elements and the qualities. I always um, think of it, how I experience it in my body. So how I check in with my body as if I'm feeling these things that really corresponds to the elements. Exactly. You know, how do we feel when we have that maybe heavy pasta dish? You know, it's a lot of earth. Oh boy, we feel heavy and bloated and sleepy after eating. Yes. You know, versus having that, you know, light and nourishing and moist, but well-spiced meal. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe kichdi, the Ayurvedic ambrosia, if you will, right? So Mm -hmm. lots of veggies, right? So absolutely. All of these things that we put, we take in the world for the five senses. And when you take in things, you can take in things that cause harmony, Mm -hmm. which are harmonious to your constitution. It's going to create health. And if we take in things that cause disharmony, we're going to cause disease. It's simple as that. Yeah. 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 So the Panchamahabhutas, the five great elements, combine in pairs to form the three great doshas. Mm. Vata is a combination of air and ether. So light, light, cold, dry, mobile, airy, fairy types, especially when not in balance, right? Mm -hmm. Each of these doshas have an animal world archetype that's described in the ancient text. Mm -hmm. And for Vata, it's the butterfly. Oh, that's perfect. And they are social butterflies, life of the party. The butterfly flits from flower to flower, gathering nectar. Uh, So they love to learn, they get bored easily. But it's also, you know, the flavor of the month or flavor of the week, if you will. They're running from place to place, workshop to workshop. Um, They are um, just vivacious and, you know, everything is awesome and amazing. And (laughs) they're also very creative. Yes. Yeah, they are the creative natural born artists as well, right? So now... When and not in balance, what can happen when there is too much vata, right? They can have digestive issues like gas and constipation. Mm. Constipation, you know, there are actually five subdoshas of vata. We won't go into those, but the suffice it to say that uh, the king of subdoshas of vata, Apanavayu, makes its main home in the colon or large intestine. Mm-hmm. So constipation is a hallmark of vata imbalance. Right? So, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of air. A lot of air. And, yeah. you know, I would examine if somebody, someone culture, I would examine diet. I would examine meal routines. Do you have a routine for eating or is it, you know, feast or famine? You know, like, like the artists, you know, like it's 4 p.m. and they've been had a meal and then now they are starving and they polish off a big burrito or something and that's not going to digest very well right so gas bloating constipation those are some just digestive symptoms mm-hmm. um other symptoms you know vata governs nervous system so all nervous system disorders it can be you know ticks and tremors all the way to fibromyalgia parkinson's multiple sclerosis just some examples of mm-hmm. vata disorders remember vata is the king of doshas yeah so okay. is it um the nervous system is overactive in some ways yes exactly too much vata 
mm-hmm. too much about that. Exactly, yeah. right? So um, it could be, you know, conditions of uh, fragility, of depletion, right? Um, osteoarthritis, um, osteopenia, mm-hmm. right? Um, as well, right? So pain is a cardinal symptom of excess vata as well because they're sensitive. Mm-hmm. Right. They're also wonderful empaths, right? So what happens emotionally when they become fragile, too much vata, worry, anxiety, fear, also taking on people's energies, not knowing how to draw boundaries, right? That's mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, they make excellent healers and empaths, but they need to know how to manage their energies and draw boundaries, energetic boundaries, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so these are some of the impact. They can become distracted, moody, impatient, lack of focus. So they love to start projects, but they don't have the stamina to finish them, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a vata imbalance hallmark as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's uh, some of the imbalances of vata on a digestive level, physical level, emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you antidote vata? So now I come back to the principle of opposite. If vata is light, cold, dry, mobile, how do you antidote in a nutshell? Well, what are the opposites of light, cold, dry, mobile, right? So warming, nourishing, grounding foods, number mm-hmm. one. This is why, and I've seen, especially earlier on in my practice, uh, raw food is not so much of a fad anymore, but I used to see quite a few raw food enthusiasts who were eating such amazing high quality foods, but they were having such digestive, such, um, you know, um, digestive issues like uh, gas, bloating, constipation, and insomnia, feeling cold all the time because they were vata types who were having the wrong foods for their constitution. Mm, okay. So like, like one of my Ayurveda mentors says, you know, nothing is good for everyone and something is good for someone in Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really speaks to the importance of considering you as an individual. Exactly. Not okay. just what's healthy, but what's good for exactly. you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, every, whenever anybody asks me, you know, is this good for me? I'm like, it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends, right? Yeah. How most phrases begin with Ayurveda. <laughs> it depends, yes. In your constitution, it depends on the quality of that food. Mm-hmm. Let's yes. match it. Is it opposites? Yes. If it's opposites, you're golden. It's going to be healing for you. Mm-hmm. If it has a similar constitution to your constitution, maybe not so good. If you have a lot of fire and you're going to be uh, drinking a lot of kombucha, well, kombucha is made up of, it's called what we is made up of fire because it's a sour tasting, it's fermented food. It has fire, you have fire, you're drinking a lot of kombucha, especially in summer, well, that's not a good thing because like increases light. Cool, let's bring in the coconut water, which is cooling and calming and going to put out the excess fire. Does that make sense? Yes, I have been drinking a lot of kombucha, I will admit. So it's making me think about... And I'll always, I tell people, how is it working out for you? Do you have any of the imbalances like I listed? Mm -hmm. If it's not, you're good. Mm-hmm. But I also told, tell people, especially when they are young, you know, it's what you do day in and day out that matters. And you may not see some of these imbalances happen until much later on in life, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. it's always being mindful. How do you feel? You know, I had a young lady who was drinking a big cup of iced coffee and she was clearly about that type. And uh, two hours later, she wore a sweater because she was feeling cold. And so it's like, okay, maybe that cold iced coffee not the best for your constitution, right? So... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so back to vata, warming, nourishing, grounding foods. 
stable routines vata types when not in balance don't have routines they don't like routines mm-hmm. they have to work hard at having good routines especially around meal times that is how you manage the unpredictability of vata mm-hmm. right right and then um cultivating faith faith is the antidote for worry anxiety and fear mm right oh, so developing your mm-hmm. spiritual life yeah, absolutely yeah. right you know maybe having an altar mm-hmm. a place in an altar can have deities it can have things that are near and dear to you Mm-hmm. you know and just having that place where you maybe go to meditate or pray maybe having a god box where you write out all your worries maybe you journal right mm-hmm. so it's not all in your mind but you have offered it to the universe those are also very grounding things right very grounding yeah. as is gardening Mm-hmm. working with earth you know what type of yoga classes do they do right you know vinyasa class may not be the best for vata vinyasa means movement right, right. so restorative yoga yin yoga so examining every practice mm-hmm. and this is more you know so i this is where the understanding of uh, one's constitution becomes very important you may have a kappa friend who could go from place to place you know workshop to workshop and you know is is solid Mm-hmm. if you are not if you have a lot of vata you will do well to minimize the movement mm-hmm. travel you know going from place to place aggravates vata mm-hmm. right so you may not be able to do as much as your kappa friend and that's okay honor your vata mm-hmm. yeah and i can it's very challenging i would think because mm-hmm. you know the like attracts like right so yes people who have a lot of movement tend to want mm-hmm. to move more um yes. and so it's almost doing the opposite of what isn't necessarily natural to absolutely you. and for that we need to be aligned with our spiritual self mm. and to really pause is it my ego mm. or is it my spiritual self talking to me right right another great way to antidote vata is to do self massage with warming heavier oils like almond and sesame i'll also send you a link uh, i wrote an article a few years ago for the chopra center on self massage abhyanga Oh, um, I love Abhyanga. Oh. Right? Such a grounding practice and such a loving practice, right? Self-love. Ayurveda is self-love. Mm-hmm. Self-care equals self-love. Yeah. So those are some ways to antidote vata. Does yeah. that help? Yeah? Yes, yes, it does. Thank you. And let's go to Pitta. Pitta mm-hmm. is made up of fire and a little bit of water. Fire and water. Mm-hmm. But more of the imba- most of the imbalances of Pitta are fiery or hot in nature. Mm. right there are some oily skin conditions like acne where you know there's the cystic acne which has an oily component to it that's when you see the water component of pitta uh, mm-hmm. imbalance come through but all pitta imbalances are excess fire hmm. right interesting excess fire yeah. let's talk about pitta archetype yeah. it's the bull or the tiger Mm. <laughs> right, right. These are the natural born leaders. These are the change makers. Uh, yeah, these are the yeah. CEOs. These are the leaders. These are the community activists. They believe in something and they want to make it happen. Mm, yeah, very It's forward, kind really of forward. moving. Yeah, mm-hmm. great sense of discrimination, judgment, clarity, focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when and blessed with great digestion and elimination. Mm-hmm. Maybe even three times a day they might eliminate. That's par for the course. 
Mm. They are not once want to miss a meal. The term hangry was invented for a pitta who wants a meal. I want to be around them. You know what right. I'm talking about. They get angry, right, when they don't. Yes, yeah. they don't get angry. You want to feed them first. If it's you, you, you eat first. You, you know, I know, I know that I have that tendency, you know, so I know. I'm like, okay, I need to have my meal now, you know, so... Yeah, so blessed with great digestion and elimination. If they have imbalances on the digestive level, it's because they've indulged in very hot foods, spicy foods, fermented sour tasting foods, not eating enough, eating on the go, multitasking, and they get burning indigestion, hyperacidity, acid reflux, mm. those kinds of imbalances. Yeah. yeah so the more you feel the fire, right? Huh? The more you feed the fire, exactly, the more imbalance yes. there is. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the uh, level of the mind again, fiery emotions. When pitta, there's too much pitta, right? It's and, and by the way, food affects us on a physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual level. Mm-hmm. So that spicy Thai food or Indian food, you maybe do do just fine physically, but examine: Are you feeling more hot tempered and impatient and more intense and warm? Right, right, so, right. so important. Yeah, so important. Um, on the emotional level, fighting emotions like anger, judgment, being overly critical, um, being aggressive. You know, these are some of the imbalances that can happen when there's too much pitta, too much fire. Mm-hmm. Um, all inflammatory conditions, conditions that end with the word, I, you know, with itis, are pitta in nature, heated toxic blood, if you will. Mm-hmm. Ulcerative colitis, inflammation of the colon, gingivitis, inflammation of the gums, right? So we want to lead an anti-inflammatory life, embrace an anti-inflammatory diet, mm-hmm. stress, Response to stress causes inflammation, and which is what Ayurveda is, which is what yoga is, which is what meditation is, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Any reddening skin conditions, right? Acne, right? Rosacea are all examples of pitta skin conditions as well. Um, conjunctivitis, blepharitis, you know, um, eye conditions are pitta in nature as well. So one of the best things to do is to, you know, put nice cool water, you know, high quality, um, you know, rose uh, rose water uh, in your eyes. Rose, you know, rose is so, uh, a rose eye wash, if you will. Rose is so cooling and calming to pitta. Rose essential oil, any of the sweet essential oils in aromatherapy, rose, jasmine, honeysuckle, yalang, yalang. Um, sandalwood, uh, schooling oils are excellent to pacify pitta, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's good to know, yeah. So any disorders of the liver, cirrhosis, jaundice, um, again, liver is an organ of pitta as well. So those are all some of the imbalances when there is too much fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you antidote pitta? Cooling, calming, everything in moderation. Cooling, calming foods. And so the, uh, my article gives you specific you know, foods. You know, in Ayurveda, we have cooling grains, cooling vegetables, cooling fruits. Nature knows best. Everything that's in season is mm-hmm. excellent to calm pitta. The melons, the stone fruits, all of the sweeter fruits are calming for pitta, right? Mm-hmm. All of the greens, all of the, you know, cruciferous vegetables, right? Greens, leafy yeah. greens, bitter leafy greens, especially are so cooling and calming for pitta dosha, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so my article, you know, talks about that. So cooling foods, right? Doesn't mean cold foods, 
cooling nvidia or nature right mm-hmm. um, right but pitta types in summer can have salads more of salads as well because they have the digestive power and the summer heat is going to help them digest that as well but mm-hmm. including the top 3 c's coconut cilantro and cucumber liberally in your diet Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always okay. good. Yeah. Um in fact that's what that's what I made. I made a chutney. I made a cilantro mint chutney to go with um a mundal um and rice crepe. Mm. You know, again rice is a cooling um grain. Mundal is very digestible, try doshe. and is excellent for pitta as well right and it has a lot of cilantro in the batter as well so it's all about just managing for pitta in summer right mm-hmm. yeah so when i thing- see your pictures on facebook of all your beer things that you cook it <laughs> looks so good <laughs> <laughs> thank you i love to cook too yeah. so, uh, I love and i'm to a foodie i love food too so i'll admit that yeah <laughs> um and then you know calming practices so again restorative yoga yin yoga sure they can do an ashtanga practice to because you know not everybody is going to be able to just do yin yoga restorative yoga five to six days a week sure do the you know do the yang practice earlier in the morning when it's cooler and then antidoted with yin and restorative yoga for rest of the week a beautiful walk in nature so blue is very cooling for pitta so a walk on the ocean a walk on the river bank is beautiful walking under a full full moon is very cooling and calming for pitta as well mm. and then cultivating non judgment which is easier said than done obviously would be a great way to antidote the judgmental quality of pitta it's a practice <laughs> it's a practice and a massage you know pittas are very self critical and self judgmental so they're not just critical and judgmental of others they are just as probably even more so critical and as judgmental right because they try to be perfectionist so again self love self massage mm-hmm. yeah has the same word for love and oil with cooler oils mm-hmm. still warm in temperature but cooler oils like sunflower and coconut oil would be wonderful for that I love how Ayurveda has these layers of taking care of yourself. It's not just yes. food level; it's also yes. spiritual, emotional, mental level. It's Absolutely, we this, this, because this physical body is a container for our soul. Mm-hmm. We want to be well on the physical level so that we can go on our path of self-realization. It's a bridge, right? It's uh-huh. a bridge to the other levels. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because if you're not well, if you have a chronic condition, you're not. I'm going to think about meditation or self-realization. That's the last thing you're going to be thinking about, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to keep this container well, yeah, enough so that we can progress on those higher levels, yes. right, mm-hmm. of health, if you will. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have kapha dosha, made of made up of water and earth, the heaviest of elements. Mm-hmm. Heavy, moist, dense. Mm-hmm. Stable, yeah. Animal word equivalent is the turtle or the elephant. Mm-hmm. Loving, loyal, patient, slow moving. They make excellent supporters. Mm-hmm. They won't rock the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nurturers. Nurturers, yes. Mm-hmm. Not blessed with great digestion or metabolism because of the water and earth weighing them down. So they can go to keep their cup. Kapha in balance, they can go in, in between meals for even five or six hours. Eat only when hungry. 
Not everybody should be eating breakfast, especially kapatats who don't wake up hungry. I tell them eat when you're hungry. That might be three to four hours after they wake up, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they love to sleep. Some classical tendencies: slow metabolism, sluggish digestion, and not in balance. Uh, deep sleepers, right? Um, and a tendency to feel clammy because of the presence of water, um, you know, especially when not in balance. Yeah. Um, you know, what happens when there is too much kappa? Again, sluggish digestion, nausea, excess mucus production, mm-hmm. right? Because chest is also a storehouse of kappa in Ayurveda. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so mucusy respiratory conditions, edema, swelling, water retention, Mm-hmm. And at the level of the mind, becoming stagnant, complacent, set in their ways, overly emotional, overly possessive of things like food, maybe, or holding, right? Um, yeah, couch potato. Yeah, mm-hmm. If you eat the standard American diet and have a couch potato lifestyle, that's a, you get kappa imbalances, lifestyle, li- or lifestyle imbalances like obesity and type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yeah. And how do you antidote kappa? Bring in the quality of opposites. Heavy, dense, cold, light, warming, pungent foods. Like, you know, and lighter foods, uh, well-spiced, maybe with spices like ginger, black pepper, cayenne, horseradish, right? Smaller portion sizes, longer duration between meals. They would do well to do a vinyasa yoga. Hmm. Yeah. Right. They would do well to do even a hot yoga, right? To sweat the excess water and to lighten the earth element by, you know, losing weight through a big rest practice. But starting with baby steps, right? We Rome was not built in the day and we don't want to shock our system, right? So it's all about baby steps. So maybe joining a walking meetup group. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, start maybe start walking. You know, maybe for half an hour and slowly increase it to maybe an hour. You know, three times a week, and then maybe try that yoga class. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yoga class. And so, with the different doshas, when um, you're in season for that dosha, right? So yes. Pita and it's fire season. Yes. You do all the more take care of your pitta. Yeah. Then if it's kappa and it's spring season. All the more take care of your kappa. Exactly. Right. Yes. Uh, again, kappas will do well to have lots of uh, bitter greens, you know, well steamed because they don't have the digestive power. So, juicing is excellent for pitta dosha. By, by the way, juicing and smoothies because they have the digestive power. For bata, it needs to be cooked, uh, you know, adding spices so that they can digest it because their agni is not as strong right so lighter foods everything and you know food in moderation attention to portion size as well you know taking a taking you know warming invigorating yoga class right um and also giving it to what is the antidote for their over over attachment right giving away of time and possession so volunteering Mm-hmm. Right. And also to give, you know, to, to get them out of their complacency, maybe taking a, a class, maybe an acting class or an improv class or a singing class. Right. Something to snap them out of their um, comfort zone, if you will. Right. To yeah. trust, you know. And the stagnancy, right? Because when we get into our routine, being able to break out of that, yeah. Exactly. Because the antidoting qualities for kappa are light, cold, dry and mobile. 
mm-hmm. which are the opposite qualities, which are basically the qualities of vata, right? So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some ways you antidote kapha. Mm-hmm. Does that help? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. That's and then you cool. went to actually do some dry skin brushing to move circulation to move the lips. Mm-hmm. So with yeah. loofah or rasal gloves. Mm-hmm. So Abhyanga would not be recommended for them unless, you know, it is, you know, it's a very dry season, then they would do well to maybe lightly massage with very light and warming oils like mustard oil or safflower oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so I love I love the archetypes, right, that mm-hmm. are positioned in, uh, in Ayurveda because not only can we use it for, you know, how we eat and right. some, of our, some of the things that we do in our life, but yes. it's also recognizing our shadow and our light that are That's in right. each one of us That's in right. terms of how we show up with others and how yes. we lead. Right. Um, and so it's such a powerful tool of diagnosis and awareness. Um, absolutely absolutely and uh, um, also I do want to let you know what uh, I have wealth of information on my website so um, I do have my blog post on Vata Pitta Kappa which delves deeper into what I just discussed and ways to antidote them as well okay Um, and also yes people can recognize hey which dosha you know we have a combination of all three doshas but based on the symptoms that we are presented with mind body spirit we can kind of tap into Hmm, okay, I can see that my pitta is out of balance today. Let me antidote my pitta or it's my vata. Mm-hmm. Of course, if somebody wants to have a proper assessment, they would need to see an Ayurveda practitioner. Oh, yeah. yeah but our bodies and our minds are constantly kind of giving us clues. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I wanted to share um, Anna, a great way if somebody wants to get started on um, incorporating Ayurveda into their daily lives. Yeah. Um, I have, a, I, have a, I have a free ebook that they can download on my homepage. Okay. And it's yeah. five daily uh, transformative practices of Ayurveda for mind, body, spirit. So it includes uh, meditation, pranayama, guidelines for healthy eating, using how to use a tongue cleaner. Oh, wow. um, it's, a, it's a nice so way to bring um, some sleep recommendations as well. Bedtime recommendations a great way to incorporate the Ayurvedic way of living. So mm. I invite you and your readers to check it out. As well. Yes. Yeah. All of that is going to be in the link um, included mm-hmm. with the podcast. So you can take a look at that because that is super helpful. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Good. Um, well, so, you know, as we kind of wrap up the podcast, yeah. I, I'm curious to also, you know, you shared, you do um, cooking classes. I know you do cooking classes and you yes. do the retreat in India. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'd love to hear anything else you'd want to share about that. I love the retreat to India. It looks so amazing. Um, and so, yeah, anything that you want to share about your work in that capacity or anything else? I'd love to yeah, this has been um, a dream come true for me. I started my first retreat to India last year, which was eight years in the making. Um, When I was on the banks of the Ganges, witnessing the evening Ganges Arati, or the ceremony with the lamps and the singing and chanting, I was mesmerized and transported. And I, uh, the seed was planted then. I said, I would love to bring people to India so they can experience, they can experience yoga, Ayurveda in its motherland, uh, where it's a way of life in some aspects, right? And in India, is such a, a country of contrast as well. 
Yeah. Right. And um, it's a, such a metaphor for our life as well. And it's like, how can we see? How can we? So I, I do tell people, right? You you have to um, be open when you come to India. Mm-hmm. You, you want to. You, you really want to experience India in. In, in, with everything that it has to offer, right? Mm-hmm. The care, the beauty, the chaos, the poverty, everything. And 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 in an Ayurveda, in way that in in I always say in India, you know, what I see, right, is there is there is poverty mm-hmm. of resources, but there is seldom poverty of spirit, if you will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So uh, even in the humblest of homes, you'll be invited to have tea and whatever they have because we, we have this uh, um, saying, Atiti Devo Baba, the guest is equivalent to God. So, mm-hmm. right. So, uh, but having said that, right, you know, as, um, as somebody who has, uh, you know, done, fairly well in my life it's it's my duty and I and I know many people share this view um it's my duty to an obligation to also help in any way I can and I'm especially aligned with and I support organizations that support education especially education of the girl child in India Mm -hmm. um so part of my retreat also includes a seva component so last time we were able to spend some time with this wonderful school called Mother Miracle School in Rishikesh, which was founded by this uh, Persian-American lady who uh, sold her lovely home and gave up her lovely lifestyle in uh, Northern California in the Bay Area and started the school for the children of the slums in Rishikesh, of the slum area in Rishikesh. And everything is provided for these children, the opportunity for education. Um, because many poor uh, families don't send their children to school because they can bring in an extra source of income yeah. and also they don't have the money to send them to school and this school provides them with all of the supplies all of the health care all of the nutritional needs all of their extracurricular activities and also met with some of the students who graduated and are now uh, teaching or having administrative positions mm-hmm. at the school or gone on to become chefs or doctors so uh, love to s- it's amazing and I love I, lo- I love organizations like even yoga gives back I love um, you know organizations that kind of give back to the um, to this land which has given so much to the world as well so there is a seva component so so retreats my retreats hinge around a few key concepts or philosophies which is spirituality so mm-hmm. spiritual they're all spiritual in nature so they're not just about shopping and sightseeing yeah. um, yes I included Taj Mahal in my previous retreat because we were like literally have one or two hours away so you know I was told I should include it so I did <laughs> uh, it's beautiful but um uh, you know, start, you know, and especially our South India retreat is held in our temple of Ayurveda. So the day starts with a fire ceremony, meditation, chanting, mm. uh, you know, yoga as well, and being in nature. Um, and yes, we stay in some very nice properties, but we also stay in properties, uh, you know, like for instance, our North India retreat, uh, we included a stay at Vandana Shiva's eco farm, Navadanya. 
which is very simple, rustic. And but you know, we we saw the incredible work that they are doing in single-handedly, you know, being against Monsanto and monocropping and monoculture, right? And yeah. showing farmers a different way, and they're saving seeds. They have the, I think, the largest seed bank in India. So we were able to see the first-hand work of conservation and also women's empowerment, which they are into um, as part of this retreat. So I want to make it spiritual, you know, spirituality, yoga, Ayurveda, Tantra, but also include the seva portion and where possible include this, um, the aspect of environmental conservation that's also happening in India as well, which is so important for all of us because we share this one earth, right? Yeah, I love that. And it's such a beautiful opportunity to also um, see a country. I mean, we practice yoga in the West. We don't truly understand or know where it comes from. And so being able to be guided by you um, firsthand through that experience is such a beautiful opportunity. So it's such an honor and and it's such an honor. And the only thing I, I tell people is be ready for India, be ready for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, be ready for everything. And I also like to, uh, um, because people, you know, so India is such an ancient country, right? So um, people see the reality and they say that is that has always been the reality. That has not been the case. Uh, India has had so many uh, conquests, right? Mm-hmm. So 600, 700 years of Mughal rule, followed by 200, 300-year of British rule, right? So right. India used to be independent states. It wasn't one nation, independent kingdoms, which is why each state has its own language, dialect, cuisine, so on and so forth, right? It's so, so rich, yeah. So rich, right? So uh, it's important to understand also... Uh, what the long arc of history has done. At one point, India was the richest nation in the world, which is why it attracted conquerors and right. you know, people plundered. Colonialism, and, yeah. Yeah, colonialism. It's good to understand, not just of India, but any place in, on the earth, right? It's, it's good to understand. Not just see it through the prism of what it is now, mm-hmm. but to understand, to step back, to understand the history of a place. Yes. Because then you come from that sense of understanding. Yeah, because it is so complex. It is so complex, complex. yes. And so then we are able to release some judgment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So, and, and that's true for not just India, for India, but it's true for situation that's happening in this country too, mm-hmm. This at this point in time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I like to also, uh, with my retreats, hopefully clear up myths and misconceptions about India mm-hmm. as well, yeah. you know, and um, show people the real India. Yeah. So. When we travel, we open up our eyes and our perspectives. Exactly. And if we are open to it. Yes. 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 Open yes. hearts. Yeah. Open hearts. So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I will just ask you one more question and then we sure. can wrap up if that's okay with you. Yes. Um, I oh, always... we can talk about Ayurveda all, all day long. <laughs> I know there's so much to cover. <laughs> there's so much to learn. Um, I would love to, you know, I love to kind of get a sense from, um, some of the folks that I talked to in terms of what quote has profoundly mm-hmm. impacted them at some way, because I love books and the, mm-hmm. I've always had this collection of quotes. So I love to hear from each 
person what has impacted them the most. Is there a quote that particularly calls to you? Oh, so many. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, having studied with Sally, I've deepened my study of the Bhagavad Gita. Yes. Um, and, you know, Lord Krishna puts uh, the word yoga, brings up the word yoga, I think no less than 100 times in the Bhagavad Gita. And I have really been uh, deepening my meditation practice. As you know, I mean, that's why we, we met at the meditation retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, meditation is such a game changer in the sense of, you know, just... Um, practicing awareness of self and connecting, consciously connecting with our divine self, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe once a day or a couple of times a day and then making that uh, hopefully a walking meditation or activity meditation yeah. throughout the day. Easier said than done, right? Yeah. <laughs> I could meditate all day. That is my goal. <laughs> right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. So I, I love, you know, um, Again, you know, many people think yoga is just asana, right? Uh, asana is just a means to an end. So, um, in fact, the, the quote that I actually, I posted it on Instagram yesterday as an invitation for people to come to my uh, yoga class this morning, and I love it. It's from the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. Um, yoga is a journey of the self, through the self, to the self. Yes, I love that quote. Right? Yoga is union. Yug. You know, the word yoke comes from the word yoke is to unite. I say we unite. Mm -hmm. Because we are, we are divine beings. We just need to wake up from that dream. So, yeah, we need to integrate with our true self. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Journey of the self, through the self, through the self. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of the biggest gifts for me when I went through my teacher training was this piece where mm-hmm. um, in the West, I don't think we understand the depth of yoga yes. until we really study it. And so um, really being able to honor the depth and the complexity and the beauty of all that yoga has to offer. Yes, yes. So because I tell people by you do a yoga class, or even Ayurveda, just come for the physical benefits. It's like just uh, licking the icing off the cake. Yeah. Leave the, the cake beginning. behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Sonia, for sharing all of your knowledge mm-hmm. and expertise. Um, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you and um, to hear all the wisdom you have to share. And so I sincerely hope that all of the listeners um, take a look at your website and all of the resources. And I'm also really looking forward to going on the retreat with you in India um, because that's been calling to me and I'd love to learn from um, your perspective and see it through your eyes. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I would be so honored to have you. And and I can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart because you gave me an opportunity to talk about something I love so dearly and I'm so passionate about and that has made and continues to make such a difference in my life uh, and I'm just uh, truly truly uh, my, my, I, I feel my dharma in my this life in this part of my life is to spread the gospel of Ayurveda uh, far and wide and you've given me an opportunity Anna. and I'm just and, and just meeting you last year was such a joy and keeping in touch and following your journey <laughs> and what you're bringing to the world is amazing as well so thank you for thank that you. And, uh, Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Truly, it's such an honor. Thank you, Sandhya. Thank you. 